McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. All right, I'm here with former Pompey midfielder Gary Roberts. And Gary, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Nice to have you on, mate. And let's get started. We always start this sort of thing in the same way, mainly because I'm interested. Why well, I was never a professional footballer, but I had I had some techers back in the day playing football, but no one picked me up as a footballer. But how did you get into being a footballer yourself into the Liverpool Academy? And who supported you on the way? Were your family supportive of you, be, you being a footballer? Mine was probably a little bit different to most most lads you'd speak to or most footballers who were playing today. When I was when I was younger, there was no really academies. It was small, <laughs> showing me age, but there was school of excellence back then. So I was at Liverpool, signed I think it was a five year contract when I was ten, and then I think I'd done three or four years, and I never really liked getting coached as a kid. I just liked to be out being more of a. I used to like playing with my mates in in the local team and. I was on the streets. I used to hate going training, hated coaching, hate, hated getting coached. So I left there at 14, maybe, knocked about a couple of other clubs, crew and whatever. And then I went through non-league, really. I went, played with my mates in Wales. And from that way, that's where I ended up at Accrington. But I see kids now, like four or five years of age, getting snapped up by Man City and Liverpool 11, especially around my area. It's like a big thing. And I was different. I like to be... I wanted to play my mates more than more than getting coached. So I went down that route and um, ended up in Wales playing men's, men's football when I was 17, 18. And I thought it probably is, probably stu- stuck me in good stead because when I come into the, the professional game at, at 20, I was physically ready. I could take the kicks and uh, where some lads who come out of academy have that step up. And as you, as you see, most people who, who come through academies don't really make it. So... I thought that bring them was, was perfect for me. Do you think then that that route to football is still something that would happen as much today? Do you think it's something that should happen more? People playing up through the non-leagues, the likes of Vardy, etc. who's done the same? Well, there's been quite a lot. Of, I think the Mings as well. There's been, I think there was quite a couple of the England players at one point was, um, had played non-league. Chris Small and a few others. Um, I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think you appreciate the game a little bit more. No disrespect to the academies because they are the run brilliantly. I just think it, I had to work, I had a job when I when I was 18. So once I got I took a big well, wasn't a big pay cut, but I took a pay cut to go into professional football just to be a professional. So I appreciated it every single day, even till the day I retire. I retired. I appreciated of having that job and 
being privileged to be in, in that profession. And obviously you went to, to Accrington and from there, I thought it was quite an interesting one. I'm not sure how this went down, but you went from Accrington on loan to Ipswich. Was that sort of like almost like a sort of try before you buy set up with Ipswich and then <laughs> picks you up on the permanent? Uh, I can talk about it now every time. Now, I think the window was shut and back then you could do the emergency, you could do an emergency loan. They never got it done in the end of the August window, maybe. So I think I went in October, but I'd already signed four and a half year deal or whatever it was, four year deal. And I think that was just put away in the in the drawer or whatever it went. But the deal was already agreed and it just came out as a loan. But, but I was still on my account some wages when, I, when I, I was playing in the championship. So that was one bad thing about it. Didn't give you a car or anything to sort of try and make up for that, did they? No, uh, no. Got nothing. Oh, what was it like then to, uh, playing for Huddersfield after after that spell at Ipswich Nackington? Because you were there for four straight seasons or, or so. Um, was it nice being settled down at a football club for a while? Um, yeah, it was. It was, to be fair. Um, maybe I moved to Ipswich a little bit too early. Like 12, 18 months before, I was playing in Wales. So next thing I know, I'm, I'm in the Championship with playing for a big club, which is a big club. Um, probably never never done as well as, I like, as I'd like. Didn't probably appreciate the move. And then when I went to Huddersfield, it was just a good fit. I was back home, living back home, and it just fitted perfect. We, we had a great team. We should have done a lot. Well, we should have done a lot better. We had a good manager, good team. Some players who've gone on to, most of the players have gone on to play at the top level. And I just, it just felt right. It just, I felt at home straight away. And that was it. We, we possibly should have went up a couple, uh, probably two years earlier than we did. But in the end, we got there. But that was my last year as well, which is a bit disappointing to leave there because I probably was, I had a chance to sign a contract the year before and never, and possibly should have. That was probably one of my regrets. You mentioned there about playing in the Championship. I mean, you've obviously got experience in Championship League One, League Two, and we talk about physicality quite a lot and I mean one of the things that Pompey struggled with when we dropped down to League 2 was having all these 16 year olds playing and then Johnny Ertel and that was that was pretty much it for the sort of the physical side of things how as a player how different is it if at all in terms of the physicality from on the pitch itself in League 2 up to the championship obviously the better players in the championship than than, than League 2 that, that's for everyone to see there's all in League one and League two, not too much difference. But I think in League two, what I found was more difficult was the pitches and stuff. Like in the championship, you turn up to the championship, there's no leveler. You could, we went to Newport away, you couldn't you couldn't stand up on the pitch. So that's a leveler straight away. And you got any ground in the championship, you, you know the pitch is going to be pristine, it's going to be watered. There's, there's no excuse. Proper stadium, good games. That's what that, that's why it's always good games and stuff. But in League Two, you you go to your Steam. No disrespect to these clubs, Newport's where the pitches are a jumpy. And after Christmas, you know it, it's a toss of coin. I went and watched the game last night, and the pitch was the pitch is a leveler. One team is if they was got a passing style and want to pass out from the back, and you just can't. So um, you have to change your tight. You have to change your approach to the games and stuff. And um, I think that is, is makes makes the league a lot more difficult than what people want. People think League 2 is not great, but it's a grind. It's it, it, it's a long, old grind, and especially after Christmas when, when the pitches get a little bit worse, especially for the, the flair players and the players who want to play football on the ground, it's quite tough. 
Do you think that's one of those things then? Because obviously just moving to your, you get your move to Portsmouth. Tomby obviously under Paul Cook like to play quite a passing style of football generally, I'd say. Is that something that you guys just just persevered with, it seems, as a fan watching it, rather than having to try to try and mix it up? You know, some fans said about having a plan A or a plan B, but Pompey seemed to stick to sort of quite a, a fluid passing uh, system, which you were really integral to. Yeah, well, some people say it's stubborn for managers not to change. And listen, I, I, I'm a big, big studier of football and, and a fan. And you see some some fans coming out with, he only knows one way, he only knows this way. And I, th- I think with, with Paul Cook, um he stuck to his guns. He wanted to pass the fans because I know it's all it's in the past now where people say, oh, we were brilliant, we passed this. We, were, we had some sticky spells at Portsmouth. The fans, like, I can remember games where fans, <laughs> they weren't happy when they wanted two up front, they wanted the ball and go on long earlier and this is, which everyone has an opinion. But he just said, if, if it's not working, we've got to work to, to get better at it. That, that was his philosophy. That's the way we want to play. We work hard on that. If we're not playing well at it, we work harder on the training ground to, to be better. And to be fair, we, we play some good stuff at Pompey. There was one game, I can't remember which game it was. I don't know if you and Fred, you might do, where the fans have been calling. For, I think it was 4-4-2 the fans were calling out for. And we'd been playing 4-2-3-1 for a while. And, we, and it was, all you saw on social media was 4-4-2, 4-4-2. And we had a home game, lined up 4-4-2, lost. And Paul yeah. Cook literally came out in the post match and was like, "Right, you wanted four four two. That's why we don't play it next week. We're going back four two three one." Might have got left out that day. I think. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one game was was quite tough. Um, I was with Ender Stevens last night. Yesterday, I went and watched the game. I was with Michael Doyle as well. Yesterday, we went to watch Michael Doyle. Yesterday, we met up after the game and stuff. So that was nice. We'll come on here today. It's quite um, quite funny. We were talking about. Um, Barnett away. Chap has scored late on. <laughs> Chap has never scored. We weren't getting off the pitch. Ender was saying last night. That was a tough one. And that pitch again, we tried to play and we couldn't. The pitch was like a was like a cow's field. I always remember our fans are right behind the goal and at the side and the tunnel was at, at the bottom end. <laughs> you know, we mightn't get off this pitch here. And, and Chap has scored with, from about 20 yards with his weak foot. I always remember the goal and that was a tough night for us. Was your night out with the lads yesterday as messy as the Christmas night out you had after the dressing room bust up? <laughs> uh, it wasn't a night out yesterday. It wasn't a night out. Uh, just today, just met up. We had been threatening to meet up for ages and just went for some food with Ender and, and then we, we seen Doyler after his game. Just had a chat for an hour or two. The Christmas night out wasn't that messy, I don't think, for me. It was for a couple of others, but it wasn't for me. So your first season at Pompey, it was, I think it was January 2015, that was a bit of a consolidation season and then trying to push on into the 2015-2016 season, which ends up in a pretty devastating playoff defeat uh, against Plymouth. It wasn't the most fun afternoon in the world. I mean, I was thinking back to that. I think that was that just before that game, it was Gareth Evans said, I can't stand them and I don't like the manager, if I'm honest, which must have made the Bradford reunion even more fun until uh, oh, a couple of months ago. Um, but... As fans, just talking about sort of playoff defeats, because Pompey have, you know, we've had a few experiences of them over the years. We see final whistle goes, everyone goes down on their haunches, onto the pitch, you know, devastation, gets you get, you get pulled off the pitch by your manager and dragged off into the dressing rooms. That's what the fans see, and we don't see the sort of the next 
step because obviously as, as fans who are really emotionally invested in the club and have been you know season ticket holders for 30 40 50 years that's the summer you know you'll you dwell on it a lot until probably the week before the season kicks off when you've got that new optimistic start of season feel as players does that stick with you sort of do you go away and think about it for days and weeks and it sort of does emotionally affect your mood for for a decent amount of time afterwards or is it more a case of you're down, you process it, you go and have the summer break for a couple of weeks and you come back in and try and hit the ground running with the same sort of professional attitude and kind of almost forget it happened almost? Um, that was the hardest one I've, I've had to say. I've been beaten a couple of times in playoffs. I've lost I've lost the playoff final, which was tough. But that one at Plymouth was really tough. I didn't take a great, to be honest. There was tears in the dressing room after, after the game. We didn't move out the dressing room for a while. It was tough. Because what, what we felt was we were on the bare bones. We, we had no one. I think we had, there was lads that don't even think we filled the bench. We had we had a couple of our bigger players and senior play, uh, players injured. And we just, we were helpless. We Even the manager spoke to the manager about it loads of time. And he just felt we were done. We were, if we would have got to the final, we probably would have had another 10 days or whatever to get players back. But, we were out on our feet. We um, we were knackered. We wasn't knackered, but we we were. Our numbers were low, and we had brutal kicks. I think did someone else come off? The Gaz Evans come off in the game, did he? Maybe I remember uh, getting injured in that game. Yeah, yeah, he come off. He was already injured going into the game, so we were down to the bare bones. And um, after the game, Plymouth four hours away. There wasn't a word spoken on the coach, and people I know loads of people say, "Oh, it's a quiet coach." This was a a distraught coach, not a word spoken. And I think we must have come in for meetings the next day or whatever. And obviously the lads all go away in the holidays, but I think it made us more hungry, especially the lads who stayed there for the next season. I think we made some good signings in the summer that summer. And we come back and listen, when you get hurt like that, it does make you more hungry. And we knew, we thought if we had a full squad and fully fit squad, we would have went up that year. We stuttered a little bit at times, but we knew we had enough to, to, to get over the line. But, Obviously, injuries and whatever else killed us going into the playoffs. And um, last minute goal, it wasn't like they battered us or anything like that. It was a last minute goal and it killed us. But it made us a lot stronger coming next summer. Because this when you've got a captain like Michael Doyle, he won't let you forget things like that. They would have, I can't remember if they was, but they would have been mentioned from the previous season, the hair from the previous season into coming into this. We were desperate to get this club up. It, it sounds a little bit cheesy and a little bit corny, but especially for even for Doyle and myself, we we were coming to the end of our the end of our careers. We wanted we wanted to see what it'd be this club would be like successful. And um obviously we got over the line the second year. I don't think Paul Cook was the sort of manager to forget about that. Did he remind you of that playoff defeat when things were stuttering to kind of get the boys back on track a little bit? <laughs> He's quite um he, he likes you to feel the pain of, of that defeat. Still the same now with with certain things. He thinks pain makes you feel once you get over it and, and come through it, you feel much better. And it was always a bit of a gripe with Plymouth. That made it a little bit harder. Because we had a little bit of a don't know where the rivalry come from. Uh, might have been from Gaz Evans or whatever, but their manager was a said a couple of a couple of things in the press and on the build up and the manager had a little our manager had a little bit with him and it was just a little bit spicy, wasn't it, the games? And that added a little bit a little bit more to the pain. 
That's been quite hard as well because in the first game, I, I was looking at the stats and you had 62% of the possession, 17 shots to their eight, and they only had two shots on target and both went in from Jamil, Matt. Yeah. Our goalkeeper never had a good day, did he? No. Rightly. No. Um, was that the emergency loan? The goal? Was that uh, Ryan Allsop, was it? It came yeah. in. Yeah. Then yeah. at Derby now. Yeah. Yeah. I think he came in the day before the game or the day of the game. We never met him, I don't think. He went in goal and obviously didn't have a great night. We felt that everything went against us. We played well that night, by the way. I thought we played well the first the first game. When Sparky scored that goal, roof nearly come off. Um, and we can we conceded just I think we conceded a couple of minutes later, and it was just a terrible time to concede a goal. Jamal Match should have got sent off. He choked Doyle, didn't he? And just felt like we didn't get that. You need luck. You do need a little bit of luck. And um we never got no luck in them two ties, I didn't think. Just moving on to the next seasons, you've got all that, you've got that sort of like pain, but also I suppose that motivation to sort of bounce back with that squad that's, that's strengthened over the summer and under Paul Cook, and you've got that philosophy going forward. It's just quite interesting because obviously you win the title in the most sort of gritty of ways, really, with that 6-1 win. This has probably been asked to you, but were you guys checking the scores at all? You've been let know at half time what was going on in the other games against Donny yeah. and, and stuff like that in Plymouth were you, were you finding out what was going on on the yeah, touchline we, we did not in the second half we were trying we were we were cruising the game I think wasn't we so we, we were out of sight so we were trying to find out off the fans one or two was, but I think it was about the last 15 minutes I think there, you can sense it can you can hear the you can hear the fans and stuff but half time I think we knew we knew what was going on the manager thing is firstly get in the playoffs and you get in the playoffs you go for promotion as this season's going on once you get promotion then you won't try and win the league. So you're working in stages. So we got promoted. It was Notts County, probably five games to go, four games to go, wherever it was. And next thing we thought, it's a long shot. We had the shackles were off. We could play with freedom. We ended up battering everyone. And you come into the last game of the season, not prepared for it. You don't expect, was it Plymouth at Grimsby, was they? You didn't expect Grimsby to, to do that. And we didn't expect to win the league. We definitely didn't because... We didn't organise no nights out or nothing like that. It wasn't nothing like we we're gonna. It was um, enjoy the day, finish on a high. The fans were made up. We got out this league. It, it, what was it, four years in the league or whatever it was? Didn't deserve to be at that level. And just to get up was was good. We were happy, but to win the league, it was just an extra shot in the arm and a couple more days out with the lads partying. Pompey went on a major run at the end of that season I think it was 10 wins in the last 12 um, after the 1-0 defeat to Crew. I remember after that game Paul Cook gave a very like to the point press conference did you did you guys think after that game that you would go on a run like you did did you always believe in what you were doing that you, yeah. that you were going to get Pompey promoted the Crew game was a just a really I don't know it's a weird game I think they even like it felt weird in the ground. It wasn't, it was a really flat performance by us. Really flat. And it probably was our lowest point. And when you come to it, when you have, when you have points like that, you either go under or you, or you fight back. And we had a meeting with the players in, in that week. I think Toyota might have called a meeting or something. And there was probably 10, 12 games left. And it was our chance to kick on. And we never looked back from there. But I don't think there was any, there wasn't no, big speeches after the game it, it was really disappointing because it was a flat really flat performance and we got we got beat well and we don't normally we don't normally get beat convincingly especially at Fratton Park we had we had a good record and we really we got we got done properly and uh, it was disappointing and we obviously 
coming work that week, had a couple of meetings, players had a meeting, staff had a meeting, and I think it was, come on, let's get on with it. Let's let's have a good go to the end of the season. And obviously we we kicked on. Just a quick question on a bit of one on Jamal Lowe, who's one of my favourite players through for the time of Pompey, just playing as an entertaining factor. Obviously, he's quite fresh and quite raw when he comes in playing with you, playing with you and stuff. Did you think he was going to be a player that could have that ability to play up in the championship? I didn't see enough of him at Pompey um, when I was there because he was coming off the bench. So, but his enthusiasm and he had he had tons of tons of ability coming from non-league. But he had that rawness, and you know what I really liked about Jamal, and still do, because obviously I played for Wigan with him for a, for a while as well. So it's hunger. He's hungry. He's so hungry, and you can't put that into players. You, you cannot. Whatever you can teach a player how to trap a ball, pass a ball, cross a ball, have a shot, do technique, whatever. You can't put hunger in someone, and he's got that hunger, and it's worth millions of pounds if you've got that hunger. You see Wayne Rooney. He, he was a hungry footballer, the best players have it. And Jamal is is, is one of the hungriest, well, young lads. He comes from non-league, and I've similar. To, I felt I was seeing a, a similarity with myself when I went from Wales into Accrington. I was hungry to make be a footballer, and I got that. I got that feeling off Jamal. And even when we were at Wigan, he was still hungry, still grounded, but still hungry. He wanted to be good. He worked hard. He done his extras. He lived his life right. And it, you see him on the great career now and I'm not surprised one bit by it. It was the, the first time he played at Fratton, at least he came off the bench, I think. And it was literally the first time he got the ball and just ran at the defence. And that sounds like such a basic thing to do. But when you're in the stands and it's a bit of a flat game, and obviously he came on to you know inject a bit of sort of impetus into the game. Yeah. And it was that when we, we were talking last week, lads, about you know youth players versus bringing in experienced players and sort of the ratio of young players coming up from non-league that work out. So mm. it's, you know, one in 10, one in 20, whatever. We didn't say any figures, but like we had that moment where you instantly realised that this might be one that actually was going to work out. And that's quite an exciting moment in the stand when you're seeing the star or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, anyone can sign a player. 32 years of age, who scored 20 goals four years ago. Everyone knows them. When <laughs> You get someone like Jamal and you're like, whoa, you're on the edge of the seat watching him because he's fearless. He come in, he had nothing to lose. He was working as a PE teacher or something a couple of years before. So he's he's next thing he knows, he's in front of eighteen thousand at Fratton Park, and he's fearless. He, he didn't go under. He, I think he just he just grasped it straight away. He, and that again, the, the hunger to do well and get in the team because he weren't happy not being in the team. He wasn't there to make the numbers up, John. He come and obviously the season after we went up into the league one or the league one season, he kicked on again. He, he he played a big part for us, but I think after that, I think after we all left, I think he took the mantle to be the main man, didn't he? I think he took it on to be like the star man and and done brilliant. I feel like I'm asking the negative questions here, but we'll <laughs> jump forward to uh, obviously just after we win League Two. I say we because obviously Hugh Freddie and I contributed massively to the performances <laughs> towards the end of the season. Um, just after we won League Two, and there's this real positive dynamic around the club. I remember being on the pitch after the last game, thinking we can kick on from this. This is an exciting time. And then with within a fairly short period of time, uh, Paul Cook has left the club fairly soon after an interview, which led us to think he was going to stay. And obviously, that's divided the fan base. It's all very well 
documented how some some of the fan base took that. Was that something that, as a playing group, you had a, a reaction to when you see the fan base or parts of the fan base reacting negatively to that towards someone who has just essentially, you know, taken the team to where they wanted to be at the start of the season. Is that something you can distance yourself from fairly easily? Or is that something that you do have quite like a visceral reaction to in the dressing room? Um, we were all off, wasn't we? We were all in the summer, so it was in the summertime. So, you know what? It's not it's not one of the things where a player get involved in. It's like even if a player puts a transfer request in or whatever, it, it never really gets to the dressing room. No one had ever make a thing it's a personal thing the manager didn't I don't well, didn't agree a contract or didn't agree whatever it was with, with the club it happens all the time with players when players are going through contract talks and it doesn't work out it happens it's football that, that is football and it never really gets to a dressing room and no one really it doesn't get brought up it's quite it's quite a personal thing it, it's your it's your life it's your contract and once it's in a team um, situation then you can have your say and people can talk about it but this is like when it's a contract it's a what it's your personal it's your personal stuff so no one really it didn't really get brought up but that was in the summer as well so we were all off we were all off off work so we were, everyone was on holiday next thing you know the man just left and thinking, I think some lads are out of contract anyway wasn't he and I think I had one or two one year left so I was going back but I was shocked at the time as well as anyone yeah, I think following up with that, then obviously, yeah, you you come back from the sort of the postseason break. Kenny Jacket comes in, who from the outside seems like the polar opposite in every possible way to Paul Cook. That's that's the vibe you get as a fan, I think, in terms of managing style and in terms of engagement with players, media, fans, all all of that sort of thing. And obviously, we do extensive research here on the pod, um, and you, you've spoken before about the process that led to you leaving Portsmouth basically towards the end of that summer and essentially feeling a bit cut off and having a conversation with Joe Gallen rather than with Kenny Jackett himself about it. We're not here to sort of get clickbaity, quotey, you know, exciting things slagging off different managers. But I think it's fair to say from our side, there are some managers it seems like you want, not you, but footballers in general want to play under and work alongside throughout the career. And other play, uh, other managers where players feel like uh, to directly quote one current Portsmouth player they had to fall back in love with football after playing under a former Portsmouth manager um, if we're looking at you specifically here that that summer where Kenny Jacket comes in and you're told you're going to be part of the, the plans for the next season and then the goalposts seem to get moved without any rhyme or reason without wanting to focus too much on Kenny Jacket, is there anything you would do differently yourself if you could live that summer again sort of from the day after the league to win over that August, well, towards that August, is there anything you would do differently if you could? Um, well, what, I went to be fair, when I come back, um, I knew he'd been speaking to other lads in the, in the changing room um, who were still there. So I just thought it was a little bit odd. So on the build up to the first day, I, I thought, I think it was the most experienced player there. I think Doyle had left by that time. Bakes, may, maybe, I don't know, Bakes was still there. So um, I thought, I'll go in, introduce myself and say, how are you? I'm, I'm here, whatever. And and it went well. I sat with him for about 20 minutes and it went well. It went really well, the chat. And um, obviously, 
I've, I've known him before. I went on trial to Swansea when I was 16, 17, when he was the manager. And he never taken us there. He never signed us then. Um, so I knew him a little tiny bit. I've played against his teams over the years. And um, I thought it went really well, the chat. And that was the last chat I had with him. That was it. But it's, it's football. And I see it now. Now I've been in, in coaching for a year. Uh, these things happen. I thought Kenny Jack had done brilliant at Portsmouth. I just pro- wasn't part of his plans. He nearly got over the line. He he won a cup, didn't he? He got in playoffs. Did he get in playoffs once or twice? Um, I don't think his record's bad at Portsmouth. I thought he'd done well there. I just wasn't part of his plans. At the time, I've done interviews previously and, and I was a little bit bitter and a little bit gutted with it the way it happened. But listen, it happens. <laughs> I wasn't a part of the manager's plans and he maybe could have went about a little bit different and been a little bit more open and honest with me. But other than that, Ever seen Kenny Jacket now? Be nothing but respect. He's a good manager in the game. He's he, he's been in the game a long time, and I believe he done really well at Portsmouth. I think he did. Do you think now moving into coaching yourself, Gary, that you could take maybe you said about him maybe dealing with it differently with players? Is that something that's in your back of your mind when you deal with with players yourself and from a coaching basis? I think if you're honest with a player, if you're open and honest, nothing can ever come back on you. If you're honest in that's your honest opinion, if you're honest to to a, a player's face. He can't come back and say you said this, you done this. I think he'd like players like honesty. He mightn't like the way some people don't like getting told the truth, but I think that the truth's always the best way. Obviously, you went to um, Wigan afterwards under Paul Cook, and obviously you signed, you signed under him initially at, at Chesterfield in 2013. Did you think you would play under him for as long as you did, from no. when you first met him all the way? No, definitely not. Because <laughs> no. Um, no, well, to be honest, when I when I've gone through all this, I poor uh, Pompey. I was there's an early sign for Wimbledon, maybe. I was gonna try and stay in the area because my kids were settled and and I'd obviously moved my family down. So I'd spoke to some um, I spoke to clubs around the London area and I spoke to anyone else. I spoke to well, Eastley. Eastley, come on, I, as I was gonna stay in the area, so obviously. The age of my agents looking around at the local clubs to stay down the area and um nothing nothing really fitted me well to be honest. And then um the man cookies come back on and he said, Bring you in that Wigan, but we've got we've got the best number ten in the league. He said, But he's always injured. He's always injured. He said, I think he's played eight games the last two years, so you'll 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 end up playing. Um, but if he's fit, he's a really good player. And he played all 40 games that season, Nick Powell, so I didn't play much many games, but that's how that's how uh, that's how it went on, went about. And apart from Annie, so it distracted me with um, some lovely lady giving me a kiss in the cheek during the Yeah, the sorry about that voice. <laughs> <laughs> <You're not on. laughs> she seems nice. Um <laughs> <laughs> God, the colour I've just gone, Jibs. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You've got a suntan there, mate, right? <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to, I had to bring it up, mate. I had to bring it up. Right, that's what editing, that's that for, uh, yeah, editing the pod is for, mate. Thankfully, Gary, it's an audio. Thankfully, we're on an audio podcast, right? Don't, don't you worry about it, um, Gary. I actually do the editing myself, so I'm going to make sure that stays yeah, right in the middle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Vance. Much appreciated. Let's move on from that. Um, <laughs> that's all right. So, Go on, Andy. Then move it on. I'll jump. I'll jump straight in. You joined. Paul Cook, obviously, at Ipswich in a, well, mostly sort of coaching capacity, following on from Paul Lambert leaving the club. And 
I remember just before Lambert left the club, it was pretty toxic down at Ipswich. I was keeping sort of general tabs on it because it was during lockdown. And I remember there being a, a lot of talk of how bad it would have been in the stadium if fans were there. So you were coming in at quite a difficult time at Ipswich. And there was obviously a lot of squad turnover. It was like 18 players over some over summer, I think 15 or 18 players over summer turnover. Paul Cook only gets given, what was it? six or so months maybe um, actually with that new squad from the start of the season were you firstly did you see your time there as success working with Paul secondly were you surprised by their decision in January to go in a new direction and sort of thirdly how did that affect you it must have been sort of a fairly new experience to be in that if the manager leaves I'm probably leaving with him kind of position whereas a player you'd just stay with the club when a manager leaves? Uh, no, I'll be totally honest. It was probably the toughest experience I've had in football, being at Ipswich. From the minute we walked in to the minute we left, it, we left. It's my first job, so everything was new to me. And we went in and we, we felt the squad was had underachieved in, in, in the previous years. And the, obviously, there was quite an aging squad as well. So I think... We, we knew the squad needed to freshen them up. They've been players there a long time and they haven't had no success. And for the size of the club, they, they're craving it. The fans are craving success there. So we felt it needed a freshen up. And there was a lot of a lot, a lot of people out of contract and we never succeeded there. We it's now I'll hold my hands up. We should have done better, a lot better. But the time scale of it, after releasing so many players and then without a recruitment room, we signed 21 players, I think which is a lot of players to come through a door and to just to see one transfer window was um, was quite disappointing. But great club, smashing club, really, really good club. And they will, with, with the backing you've got from from the American owners, they'll, um, they will get promoted, possibly not this year, but they will go up. The club's only going one way. Definitely. You, you see, though, I can see it's been really difficult. We look at Pompey here, for instance, Danny's come in. He's done a great job, came on came on the podcast, chatted to us, and he's also just takes time to bed players in there, doesn't it? And you can see that I think Pompey have really sort of found a bit more fluidity recently and stuff. So I think it's quite a tough ask for the short amount of time you had there to to necessarily turn it around. But I think, as you said before, football can be quite quite brutal in that sense, really. Well, we, we the owner who brought us in left after three or four weeks. So there you go. And then... Another another firm have come in, Americans have bought it, who, and they've brought a load in from Bristol, Mark Ashton's and Andy Rolls and all these fellas who we didn't know, really. I'd be lying to say it worked well, because it never. There's a lot of things that went on behind the scenes, and but end of the day, we got backed. They backed us with, with good wages for the players, and we signed some good players. You see them now, the from the calibre player, when we come in to the calibre player we've left behind, it, it's a it's a big margin. They've got some really good players there, and um, they will go up eventually. It was, it was tough. It was a tough first job for me. It's learned me an awful lot. I needed a break after it. That's why I've had a couple of weeks to get away and stuff. But I've learned a lot from that job. And what's next for you, Gary? Then you've had a few more. Is it a few more chips out with uh, Enders, Watch Doily and stuff, and just relax it up now? Or are you looking for to, to do sort of similar yeah. again? Well, you never relax. You never relax with football. You have. A, I get out and watch a lot of games. I've been around the country watching games. COVID a little bit. It's quite tricky to, to get into clubs to watch them train, but 
over the next week or two, I'll be getting trying to get into a couple of places to go and see how the managers work and coaches work because I'm still I'm brand new. I come out the game quite late, 37. So some coaches have got years and years on me. I'm a really young coach, so I'm learning. I've I've gone from the most experienced player to the most inexperienced coach. So you go from one extreme to the next and I've got a lot of passion for the game. I love the game. I always have done. And as much as you say you're having a break, I'm still out watching three or four games a week. So my wife will say it's not a break, but it's. A, I think I'm ready to to try and get back into into football in some capacity now. Obviously, your, your time at Portsmouth was a very memorable one. If you had to pick your favourite moment at the club and your favourite goal, do you think you could narrow that down? Favourite moment. I think the moment's quite easy. Do you know what sticks in my mind really? And I'm not just saying this. Driving to the game, dagging the first game of the season, always stuck with me. It was just uh, no disrespect. I've come from Chesterfield to Pompey, pre-seasons or whatever it is. But that first game of the season, there was a buzz around the club, real buzz. I think it was Paul Cook's first game. We had loads of new signings, and the buzz driving into the stadium. Down commercial road, the traffic getting into the ground, then getting out your car, and it just felt the feeling was like this is a proper club, this is really a proper club. Going into the game, and obviously, it was a perfect day. We won 3 0, maybe that always stuck with me. Obviously, Cheltenham will always stick with you for, for how it panned out, but um, that first game of the season was a, a real wow. And goal, I thought sort of expecting you to bring out the Bournemouth one, Gary. That's the team goal. That's sort of a football player thing to say, right? Or is there a bit individual goal you've got? No, I, I, do you know what? It's probably one of the worst to play for Pompey, Bournemouth. So, forget <laughs> the game. I only I had one touch of the ball in that move. So, it was good for the team goal, but Carlisle was a good goal. It was an important I was there, goal. I was there at that game, outside of the boot. Yeah, that was, that was important. Let's go one at Yeovil, an important one at Yeovil, decent one. But I think the Barnet one was was probably it was all right that one. Nice. Yeah, the Barnet one probably the best individual goal, but it wasn't the most important because we we battered Barnet. Probably um, Carlisle was probably the most important at the time. We needed to win that one. Right, I'm pretty sure you've just got like a photo- uh, photographic memory for every goal. If someone says, yeah, Dagenham and Redbridge away, 2013, I swear you've got it locked away. No, but I remember Incredible. the Carlisle game specifically. Yeah. It was, it was promo- a promotion race, long away game. Yeah. It was 0-0 n- in the first half. And then Pompey played really well, just, just couldn't hit the ball in the back of the net for ages. Owen Doyle missed a couple of massive chances in the first half. He told me he was going to score bags of goals for Pompey and I saw him at, at Wickham and Doyle did. Oh, I thought, well, he did the season before and... He's a real goal scorer and he, he did after he left us as well. He just didn't have a great time. I think he'd come, he wasn't fully fit when he'd come, I don't think. I think his groin was, I think he might have been struggling with his groin and um, he missed some big chances for us, Owen, which is he surprising. Came back and scored, um, he came back and scored, was it two he scored against uh, against us for Oldham? And then the first one just like gave it the big end to the fratten and he knew how to, how to make an impression, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was one of my least favourite afternoons at Fratton Park in history, that one, I think. But I well, do you know what? If you look back through to our strikers, we had the fans were quite tough on the strikers. It was the fans were, um, if you look at some of them, even Smudge, Smudge got a lot of grief off the fans, and Smudge worked his socks off and never just had that look in front of goal. And you look at you look at Smudge now, and he's he's a top, he's a, he's a championship striker. 
without doubt, a couple of others who had a bit of a tough time when they played at the top end of the pitch. But playing in a four-two-three-one, you don't really get involved in the play, especially especially for 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 the gaffer. He, he's got your number nine's got to stretch the game and stay out the way and occupy people while the other three behind get get all the ball. So it's it's quite a tricky position for a striker in in that formation. You've got to be really patient and and wait for your chance to to put one in the net. But yeah, it is a it is a it was a tough position um, for our supporters when I was there. So we'll keep that in mind, boys. When we're talking week to week about the lads up front and finishing chances. I was just thinking that we like so yeah with people like George Hurst <laughs> who's getting in the positions and it's not just quite going for him at the moment. I think yeah, I'm just going to bring up. Michael Smith as well is another example of that. There is there's a, just a trend, isn't there? And it's an ongoing joke about how you know number nines go away from Pompey and then succeed again, having succeeded before Pompey. But you know there is a there's a theme there, and there's got to be an underlying reason behind it. It's not just a coincidence when it happens that many times in a row. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's something that we do need to take into account when yeah thinking about people like George Hurst, who's early in career and looking to make that step up. And yeah, it's not going to be an overnight thing. And yeah. I mean, that's probably for the full pod episode to talk about, isn't it, really? To be fair. Yeah, it's the hardest position on the pitch. That's why they get paid the most. Yeah, fair enough. Gary, mate, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. It's been a wicked episode. I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy listening, but I usually offer people, they want to plug anything or whatever, but is there anything you want to, do you want to plug or talk about that you're doing or anything like that? No, 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 no. It's just nice to get on. I've had loads of requests from him. And because I've been in work and been away, I've... I've not took any, so this is my first one. <laughs> this is my first one I've done. Um, so I'm gonna get through for a little break. Just let's have the exclusive for as long as possible. Maybe. Have another trip to the Algarve <laughs> and um, then we'll see where we go from there. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it, and I'm sure the Pompey fans listening will as well, mate. So uh, brilliant. Thanks brilliant. again, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in your next step when you get another gig um in coaching. Brilliant. Thanks, Lance. Thank you Thanks, very Gary. Much. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Gary. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.